Well, to start with this evening, I turn to Romans chapter 8. This will be not an expository sermon, but a topical sermon, so I'll be all over the place in the Bible tonight. But to start with, we turn to Romans chapter 8. I'll read verses 12 through 17. As we consider God's holy word here in this case, as Paul wrote to the Christians at Rome, before he had ever visited them, as I mentioned recently, uh, uh, this is a letter that Paul wrote to a church, or to perhaps churches in that large city, but to Christians uh, in the city of Rome, uh, before he had ever visited there, and so he uh, lays out in God's providence as a great blessing for us, because he lays out many things that he might have considered basic to the churches that he'd already been to. And so Romans gives us a great deal of basics of the gospel. And here we read, among other things in this passage, about the doctrine of adoption. And so let's attend with reverence to the reading of God's holy word. It was inspired by the Holy Spirit. It's therefore inerrant, as Paul wrote, Romans 8, verses 12 through 17. Therefore, brethren, we are debtors not to the flesh to live according to the flesh, For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. For as many as are led by the Spirit of God, these are sons of God. For you did not receive the spirit of bondage again to fear, but you received the spirit of adoption, by whom we cry out, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God, and if children, then heirs, heirs of God and joint heirs with Christ, if indeed we suffer with him, that we may also be glorified together. And that sends the reading of God's holy word for us, at least for the moment. Let's uh, seek the Lord briefly in prayer. Lord, we do thank you that you've given us a written word whereby it can be as a light lamp shining in the dark, until the morning star rises in our hearts, as Peter says, that this is a guide for us as long as this world lasts. And we pray that we would therefore be guided by it, and that we would learn this evening, especially of this doctrine of adoption, a beautiful doctrine which you have given us, that we might know that we are indeed your children. We pray that you would help us to live lives that reflect the nature of our Heavenly Father. In Jesus' name. Amen. Well, about nine months ago, Kim and I had the privilege of adopting our beautiful little daughters. Adoption is a, a wonderful thing. If it weren't for sin, for the brokenness of the world, adoption would never be necessary. It's because... Sometimes people leave their children orphaned or sometimes are unable or unwilling to care for them that that sometimes somebody else has to take in children that were not born as their own but that they raise as their own. And when adoption happens, it's a legal declaration. It says that this child that didn't start in this family now is in this family as if born in the family. And so it's sometimes uh, some, the case that people will sort of slip and they'll, 
speak a, to an adopted child about uh, who your real mother or your real father is. And in fact, your their real mother or father is the adoptive mother and father. Well, similarly, God, as he's given earthly adoption as a remedy for some earthly consequences of sin, has used a spiritual adoption as a remedy for eternal consequences of sin. It's part of his plan to redeem sinners. Those whom he sanctifies, those whom he he justifies, gives the new birth, he adopts into his household as well. People who didn't start as his own, people who were estranged from him, but who now are legally speaking in his declaration as much his children as Jesus himself. Jesus is, yes, the only begotten Son of God, but all who are in Christ are sons of God. And In fact, the Bible specifically uses the, the term sons in the New Testament so frequently to speak of all of us, men and women, because it would prevent confusion, I think. In ancient cultures, if a son was to inherit, he would inherit from the family he was born into or adopted into. And by the way, adoption was also a really big thing in the Roman Empire in, in Paul's day. Uh, this is usually how somebody got to inherit the, the throne of the emperor. Uh, most of the emperors didn't uh, inherit necessarily by a direct bloodline, but they inherited by adoption. They were adopted. The uh, emperors would name their successor by adopting someone, often someone who's already an adult, as their own son. It started with Julius Caesar, who was not officially an emperor in the way that we think of later, but, but who adopted Octavian, who became the first emperor, who adopted Tiberius, who adopted Caligula, and so on and so on. So adoption is a big deal, and people understood that when Paul wrote Romans chapter 8. God adopts people who didn't start in his household into his household. And he, uh, the New Testament, as I was saying, uses the term sons quite often to speak of believers, whether male or female, uh, so that we're not confused, so that uh, people wouldn't think, well, a man inherits from the family that he's born or adopted into, but a woman inherits from the family she marries into. And legally speaking, in God's legal declaration, as he justifies us, he also adopts us as sons so that we know that whether male or female, all of us receive the inheritance alongside of Christ, our spiritual brother. There was an old folk song, uh, something that, Some of you might not know about me as I've been kind of into folk music, traditional folk music at times in my life. In fact, my pastor growing up was something of, was a somewhat famous folk singer in his day. Um, And I don't mean like modern folk music like Peter, Paul, and Mary or something like that. This is traditional historic folk music. Uh, There was a song actually I learned uh, from or heard my pastor sing many years ago called Iron Mountain Baby. And it is maybe kind of a modern song. It was written in 1902. Um, It was about a baby boy who was telling a true story about a baby boy who was placed in a satchel and thrown from a train in Missouri in 1902. He was found bruised but alive by the edge of the river 
over which the train was passing when he was thrown out. He was adopted by the farmer who found him. The song says, This little baby, bless its heart, I cannot tell its name, now has a mother to take its part, a father just the same. What a beautiful thing adoption can be. In God's providence, we come today to the doctrine of adoption in our study of what Presbyterians believe. Spiritually speaking, in our natural fallen state, we are at best orphans. In fact, as we'll dig into this, we'll find it would be a compliment to call us orphans. We're not actually orphans, as the Bible calls us, but we we are at best orphans, spiritually speaking. That would be a more comforting thing than what the Bible actually has to tell us about where we stand. Scripture calls fallen mankind the seed of the serpent, children of the devil, sons of wrath, a brood of vipers. I'll just give you one example here from John chapter 8, where John says, or the Lord, Jesus, actually, John records him, saying here, I know that you are Abraham's descendants, but you seek to kill me because my word has no place in you. I speak what I have seen with my father, and you do what you have seen with your father. They answered him and said, Abraham is our father. Jesus said to them, If you were Abraham's children, you would do the works of Abraham. So notice the the concept here of doing works, of reflecting the nature of your father. And so this also has a bearing on uh, what happens to us in adoption. If we're adopted as God's children, then we are now to reflect his nature. So they said, Abraham is our father. Jesus said to them, If you were Abraham's children, you would do the work of Abraham. But now you seek to kill me, a man who has told you the truth, which I heard from God. Abraham did not do this. You do the deeds of your father. Then they said to him, We were not born of fornications. They're basically saying, Yeah, we're we're not illegitimate children. We really are descendants of Abraham. And so they say, Well, you must be meaning... A father in a different sense. Oh, so they say, we have one father, God. Jesus said to them, if God were your father, you would love me. For I proceeded forth and came from God, nor have I come of myself, but he sent me. Why do you not understand my speech? Because you were not able to listen to my word. You are of your father, the devil. And the desires of your father you want to do. He was a murderer from the beginning and does not stand in the truth because there is no truth in him. When he speaks a lie, he speaks from his own resources, for he is a liar and the father of it. That's who scripture tells us we are naturally in our fallen state, children of or children of the devil. Compared to that, orphanhood is a pleasant idea. But we are as orphans in one sense, children of that deadbeat dad, Satan, who cares nothing for our well-being and only desires to use us for his own aims. In fact, he desires to harm. As Jesus says, he was a murderer from the beginning. The Lord, however, has not left us in that state. He's chosen a people for himself out of the fallen human race and As we've already seen, he gives them new life in Christ. They're regenerated. They're born again. Uh, He effectually calls them into his kingdom. 
and he justifies them. And in so doing, he also adopts them as his own. Our confession says, all those that are justified, God vouchsafeth in and for his only son, Jesus Christ, to make partners of the grace of adoption. Excuse me, make partakers of the grace of adoption. By which they are taken into the number and enjoy the liberties and privileges of the children of God. So that's why it's adoption. We didn't start there, but we're taken into the number of the children of God and given the same liberties and privileges that the children of God would get. Have his name put on them. Receive the spirit of adoption. Have access to the throne of grace with boldness. Are enabled to cry, Abba, Father. As some theologians have said, a spiritual daddy that we cry out, as Paul said there in Romans 8. Confession says of us, They are pitied, protected, provided for, and chastened by him as a father, yet never cast off, but sealed to the day of redemption and inherit the promises as heirs of everlasting salvation. In Genesis 15 and 17, God promised offspring to Abraham, and Paul shows how that was That promise was fulfilled fully and perfectly in Jesus Christ in Galatians chapter 3. In verse 7, he says, Therefore know that only those who are of faith are sons of Abraham. And then in verses 27 through 29, he says, For as many of you as were baptized into Christ, you have put on Christ. There is neither Jew nor Greek, there is neither slave nor free, there is neither male nor female. For you are all one in Christ Jesus, and if you are Christ's, Then you are Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. So everyone united to Christ by faith becomes a child of the promise, the seed that the Lord promised to Abraham and heirs to all of those promises that God gave to Abraham. In Galatians 4, verses 4 and 5, we read, But when the fullness of the time had come, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law, that we might receive the adoption of, as sons. So along with redemption comes adoption. Ephesians 1.5, God predestined us for adoption, Paul says, as sons through Jesus Christ. We enjoy the privilege of being sons, heirs of God with all of the liberties, all of the privileges that sons of their father get based on their father's status. And there is no higher status than the Lord God. What a privilege it is to be adopted as children of the Lord God. Paul says in Romans eight seventeen that we are God's children, and if children, then heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ. So right along with Christ, we're heirs to that same kingdom that God is giving to him. Yes, he's the head of the family, but we're in the family. John 1, 12, to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, it's talking about Jesus' name, He gave the right to become sons of God. Again, co-heirs with Christ. So being his children then, we have the privilege of being called by his name, as the confession says. That's a reference to scriptures like Jeremiah 14.9. You, O Lord, are in the midst of us. Remember, as we've seen uh, in 1 Corinthians, as we'll see more fully in 2 Corinthians, that God chooses his dwelling place to be among or his people in Christ. You, O Lord, are in the midst of us, Jeremiah says, 
and we are called by your name. And that's a way of saying, you are our Father. We received our name from you. Typically, even today, though lots of people sort of rebel against this notion, our family name gets passed down from our Father to us. In societies that uh, don't have family names, there's often it's often the case that people are known as the son or the daughter of a particular man, who their father is. Jesus would have been known as, as Jesus Bar Joseph, Yeshua Bar, jo- Bar Yosef, right? The son of Joseph in his earthly family. In modern day Iceland, uh, people are still called by whatever their father's name was. I remember a woman I met when I was pastoring a church in Iowa whose name was Maggie Thorstansdoffer. Her father's name was Thorstan, so she'll always be Thorstansdoffer. And if she had a brother, he would be Thorsten's son. Amos 9.12 predicts in Acts 15.17 notes the fulfillment of God calling people from many nations, Gentiles who are called by my name. God has already claimed Gentiles, people from all the nations of the world, and called them by his name. 2 Corinthians 6.18, I will be a father to you, and you shall be sons and daughters to me, says the Lord. Think about that. Nameless orphans at best, who, if we could claim a father, could say he is the devil, he's the serpent, he's Satan have now been acknowledged as children of the great Lord God, the great king of the universe. This is the stuff of epic tales, right? If you ever study ancient mythology and that sort of thing, the the baby boy thrown from a train in 1902 received many names. The song says it can't tell his name. Maybe the songwriter didn't know. Maybe the songwriter was trying to protect his anonymity, protect his identity. But history knows his name. His name is William. That was his adoptive father's name. Moses, because he was found, as it were, in the bulrushes. William Moses Gould Helms. Gould was for Jay Gould, the head of the railroad, who paid for much of the child's upkeep as he was growing up. And Helms, the family that adopted him. And I'm sure that the most precious of those names was Helms. That new mom and dad that he had who loved him and raised him. Well, as a Christian, through your union with God's Son, God has called you by His name. The confession points to Romans 5.15, which we, says we, are, we have received the spirit, of, excuse me, 8.15, we have received the spirit of adoption by whom we cry, Abba, Father. We can call God Father. It's a modern politically correct thing to say that everyone is a child of God. And of course, God created us all, and we're accountable to Him in that sense. But in a true covenantal sense, God is only the Father of those who are in Christ Jesus. And so, what a privilege it is in Christ to be able to call God Father. Father. What a beautiful thing that that's how Jesus taught his disciples to address God when 
They said, teach us how to pray. And he said, pray like this, Our Father, who art in heaven. Our Father. Just those two words teach so much about what the gospel does for people. Being adopted by God, we now have access to his throne of grace. As Ephesians 3.12 and Hebrews 4.16 tell us. As we look in, in Ephesians 3.12, really starting in verse 11. It says, it speaks of Christ Jesus our Lord, then in verse 12, in whom we have boldness and access with confidence through faith in him. We have boldness and access in confidence. If you have a loving father, you have every reason to be confident to come before him. Not to fear, yes, to, to fear in the sense of respect, and yes, to be disciplined and corrected by him. But you have confidence to come to a loving father, and God is that to all who are in Christ. Hebrews 4.16, Let us therefore come boldly to the throne of grace that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. So we're therefore enabled to call upon the Lord as Father, as Abba, as Jesus himself called upon God the Father. Abba, by the way, that, that Paul uh, uses there in, in Romans 8.15 is simply a, a, an Aramaic word that means Father. It's directly related to the Hebrew word Av, which uh, is the first element of Abraham's name. And so our relationship with our Creator is entirely changed. Yes, we started as children of the devil, as sons of the serpent, as a brood of vipers, as children of wrath. Left to our sins, that would be who we still were. We would hate God. And he would be our judge. That would be our relationship with him. There would be no familial relationship. We would simply know him as judge, justly pouring out his wrath upon us. But by this free gift in Jesus Christ, God's grace, we are justified. We're declared as righteous in his courtroom. We'll talk about sanctification later. But we're also, along with that, taken as his own children. Can you imagine a judge seeing that someone in the courtroom is guilty before him and saying, nevertheless, I declare you not guilty for I myself will pay your debts and I'm taking you home with me to be my child. That's what God has done for every sinner who comes to him in Christ Jesus. So he willingly and voluntarily takes on the role of father to us. It's not like he's just stuck with us. He chose us and he pities us as a father pities his children psalm 103:3 as a father shows pity to his children so the lord shows compassion to those who fear him he protects us proverbs 14:26 in the fear of the lord one has strong confidence and his children will have refuge he corrects and disciplines us hebrews 12:6 for the Lord disciplines the one he loves and chastises every son whom he receives. So he corrects us as a loving parent does. Yet he never casts us off. You'll never be able to do something so heinous if you're truly in Christ that God would disown you. We see in Lamentations 
3, uh, 31 and 32. Where we read here, can find it. Uh, <clears throat> For the Lord will not cast us off forever. Though he causes grief, he will show compassion according to the multitude of his mercies. He marks or seals those whom he adopts as his own. Ephesians 4.30 Do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. We inherit all his promises. Hebrews 6.12 Really, let me read 11 and 12. And we desire that each one of you show the same diligence to the full assurance of hope until the end that you do not become sluggish but imitate those who through faith and patience inherit the promises. We are heirs of everlasting salvation in 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 3 and 4. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to his abundant mercy has begotten us again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to an inheritance incorruptible and undefiled and that does not fade away, reserved in heaven for you. Hebrews 1, verse 14. Are they, speaking of angels, are they not all ministering spirits sent forth to minister for those who will inherit salvation? So we've seen in this series so far how we fell from the good and glorious state into which God created us, made us perfectly in his image, called us very good, and yet we were able to fall from that state. But that God for his own glory has chosen to rescue and redeem some of us, this race of sinners, for himself. And so what was a dark and terrible story has become a joyful and bright and new story. God took people who were his enemies and made them his friends. He took dead spirits and made them alive. He took children of the devil and made them his children and heirs to his everlasting promises, heirs to everlasting life. What a beautiful doctrine adoption is. Well, let's pray. Lord, we do thank you and praise you that not only have you rescued us from sin and death, but you have adopted us to be your own, to be called by your name. We ask that you would help us to live worthily of that name and to reflect your nature to the world around us, never to take your name in vain, but to glorify our Redeemer, Jesus Christ, by the things that we think and say and do as we pray in his precious name now. Amen.